Hey, it's Maller here. It's bracket season, and you can pre-register now for the Fox Sports Radio Bracket Challenge at foxsportsradio.com. Get details, rules, and pre-register today so you can easily create your winning bracket when it's live on March 17th. Once you fill out your bracket, you'll be entered for a chance to win the ultimate college sports trip for you and a friend, including travel and stays at any graduate hotel's Location sponsored by Tractor Supply and Graduate Hotels, where college fans stay. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Kaboom! If you thought four hours a day, 1,200 minutes a week was enough, think again. He's the last remnants of the old republic. A sole bastion of fairness. He treats crackheads in the ghetto gutter the same as the rich pill poppers in the penthouse. Wow. The clearinghouse of hot takes break free for something special. The Fifth Hour with Ben Maller starts right now. In the air everywhere. The weekend has begun. Welcome in. It is a fresh, piping hot edition of the Fifth Hour with Ben Maller because four hours a night are not enough on the overnight. We do this eight days a week, and you know the drill. On Fridays in the Magic Podcast Studio at a secret location somewhere in the Northwoods, we like to have a conversation on the fifth hour and bring people in who are interesting, fascinating, riveting, and we have one of those type figures today. We welcome in a man who is a social media foot soldier. He's a political columnist. He is an old talk show host. I first heard this particular person back in the day at KFI in LA as a talk show host, did a talk show at night. And I said, this guy's good. I like this guy. I like his passion, his enthusiasm, the way he approaches talk radio. I really enjoyed that. And he moved on. He has done a bunch of documentaries and written political columns. So let's welcome in now. John Ziegler, he's known as the Penn State guy. We are going to get to that, John, the Penn State stuff. But let's start with you and the fact that you originally got into the media business as a sports guy 
And then you made the quantum leap to firebrand political pundit. How did that happen? Well, um, I've done a, a lot of things um, in a very mediocre fashion in my media career. Uh, I began as a TV sportscaster. Uh, my first on-air job was in Steubenville, Ohio, Wheeling, West Virginia, back in the early 90s at WTOV-TV, the NBC affiliate, where I, I was a sports anchor reporter. And then I, I went and did that at the Fox affiliate in Raleigh, North Carolina, and um, I realized a couple things that one that my rather controversial and outspoken nature was not really suited for network <laughs> sports casting. So I went into talk radio and that's what eventually led me to here in Los Angeles and the KFI, which at the time was the number one talk station in the country. And then after that, um, I started to get into documentary films and more, I guess you would call it investigative journalism and commentary and column writing. And and so that's where I am today. So I've done a lot of different things, um, none of which in a particularly spectacular fashion, but um, it's been interesting. Well, I enjoy it, John. You've been very outspoken about the uh, zeitgeist of the times with you know doing sports radio. We had no sports last year. Everything was shut down. Sports are back, but everything's been politicized and and all that. And you've been very outspoken about all the ridiculous um, – rules and regulations and and is is there any end to this i mean you've you've been ranting day after day about it uh john is there an end of the madness well i have to say and and someone needs to tell this story i'm and i've actually tried to tell this story and not been yet been successful in doing so in a documentary form but i believe that sports played an integral role integral in in what happened with our reaction to covid it, and it was all negative, and it was all based on panic and stupidity. And without getting too deeply into it, this this might shock you. I don't know how much you've thought about this, but I actually think that one of the biggest decisions in the entire reaction to the pandemic, the one that set off a remarkable domino effect from which we may never recover, was when the Ivy League decided to cancel their basketball tournament in March of 2020. Until that happened, we were still in the rational world. But within 24 to to 36 hours after that, the entire world changed. And it changed not based on science, not based on logic. It, it based on the idea, whoa, the smart guys of the Ivy League decided that they couldn't even have their tournament. Forget about just you know, not having fans. They couldn't even play the tournament. Uh, then we have to do the same, and including golf. Which, and as a golfer, I, I I will always be totally offended by how golf handled this thing. Golf should have been a leader in showing us that we can survive this because it was perfectly designed to do so. But because golf is seen as a white male conservative sport at the time tied to Donald Trump, it was very politicized. And they were terrified that they would get destroyed if they were the only sport still standing. So they came like everybody else, even though to this day, not one golfer has ever even gotten sick from COVID. And, uh, and you know, as an outdoor sport with inherent social distancing, there was no reason why golf should not have maintained itself. And frankly, I think the most recent you know, data with the, heck, what we've seen with college football this year, I think the entire notion that outdoor crowds are a threat is a complete myth. And golf, especially, is being as outdoors as it can get. Uh, I don't think 
could it should have even had any limitations uh, on itself based upon COVID. And I don't think anybody would have ever been endangered by that. So sports played an incredibly important role in how we got here and also in why it's, we've been so slow to get out of this. Because the, the woke sports media, I, and I don't understand this at all, and I, I, the only thing that makes any sense to me is that it was all seen as in an election year as, as a way to get at Donald Trump. But the woke sports media went all in, all in on this. And, you know, frankly, sports fans ought to be furious at the sports media. You know, these commercials that ESPN runs, where they say, welcome back to college football, and they celebrate the fan. What a, what a load of crap that is. ESPN openly campaigned for a, over a year for you not to be allowed to go see a, a, a sports event. Yeah. And now they're going to – I mean, so um, I really do believe that sports played an incredibly corrosive role here. And as far as how we get out of this, the reaction to Aaron, Aaron Rodgers, we're never getting out of this. I mean, this thing is, this is forever in, in some realms. I mean, college football seems to be about the only place that has mostly emerged from this. And, um, and that's, again, it's, it's largely for political reasons. It's only in the, in the deep south that uh, politically, you know, the, these institutions are able to, to do this. And what's really shocking, and this will be my last point before, before I shut up, it, I honestly thought that when you know a good number of, of sports teams started to get back to normal and they did so without incident, that everyone else would follow. But that really hasn't been the case. Uh, because I guess because we're now living in a world where you have to signal your virtue by continuing with these restrictions, and if you don't in certain areas, you're considered to be bad people, even though it has absolutely no yeah. science behind it. Well, and John, it, it really is, and you brought up the South and that whole thing, the, the Dodgers, I was at some Dodger playoff games, they're playing the Atlanta Braves in the NLCS, and you know, the, it's a totally different world in Atlanta going to a Major League Baseball game than Los Angeles. And, and the Dodgers, when they opened it up and they allowed people to – to not wear masks, that lasted for a little while. And then, uh, you know, the, the, the politicians got involved, said, no, you got you to gotta put the masks on. And, of course, you know, being out there, John, it was mostly people to enter the stadium, you had to have the mask on. And then after that, people pretty much did what people do, and they took the mask off and, and lived their well, life. I, I, well, to that point, I actually think that, that college football especially is the ultimate proof that most people don't really believe in masks. Because if they did, let's pretend people really believe that masks worked, right? You wouldn't. You would see more than a handful of masks in a packed stadium with eighty thousand people. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, but 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 it's all about the politics. It's all about peer pressure. And when people are in a situation where the non-maskers have control, they don't bother to mask because they feel no compulsion to do so because they don't really believe in the science of it. They're just going along because they don't want anyone yelling at them. That's what this is about. And, and the mask, but I am positive. I am positive that masks do nothing 
to to hinder the spread of COVID. Yeah. The, the, now, John, the data- John. Now, I've 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 mentioned this, and I've seen some of the data. You you've been outspoken about this. Explain to the person listening now, because when I've said this in the past, I've gotten some pushback. So explain. You've actually seen the same numbers. You've seen probably more numbers than I've seen. That there is no correlation, right? That it, it is pretty much for theatrics to wear the mask for the most part for most people, right? Well, it, it, from every single angle. The mask, the pro-mask narrative makes no sense. First of all, before COVID, we had tons of studies on masks and the flu, which is the same type of virus as COVID is. It's not, in most of the cases, it's not as bad, but it's the same, it's talking about the same animal here. There, are, there were about a dozen studies done in the previous decade about masks and the flu. Not one of them showed any real impact of masks. And that was before this became politicized. This is why Dr. Fauci said in the beginning of this whole thing, don't bother wearing a mask. Now he's completely lied about why he said that and what he said. And, but that was the conventional wisdom before COVID. Let's be under, let's understand why that changed. It changed not because the science came in, not because, because we suddenly had new data I and mean, here we have unprecedented amounts of data uh, we've never had before over the last 19 months, it changed because liberals in this country have changed. I, now, I'm not talking about Asia. Asia is completely different culturally, and Asia has been misinterpreted. But in this country, masks became popular among the left as a virtue signal against Trump and a security blanket. That's what it was. And once they become deeply invested in that, there's no going back. Deep emotional investment and I, I, I'm a big believer, Ben, huge believer, and I, I assume we're going to get to this with regard to the Penn State case, which is a classic example of this. When, when if something is true, then you must look at what you would expect to happen if that was true. And here we have this unprecedented amount of data for 19 months. We've never done data like this ever before. So if masks actually work, there would be O.J. Simpson level evidence of it by now. O.J. Simpson. Instead, there's nothing, nothing. There's and, and frankly, here in Southern California, we have the best example of it. If you chart the the rate of spread in Los Angeles County versus Orange County, which is are obviously butted against each other, same climate, you know, same, yeah. same basic everything. L.A. is a mass capital of the of the country. Orange County currently has no mask mandate. No one's wearing masks there. From the beginning, no one wore masks as much in Orange County as they did in L.A. County because Orange County is much less liberal. The chart is identical except for one thing. The case rate in Orange County is always a little bit less than that of Los Angeles County. But it could not be more identical, which shows me that this whole thing, I, I actually believe, what we do has very little impact over the spread of the virus. I think it's partially seasonal. I think it's partial, partially luck or bad luck. I, I, the whole notion that we have, have control over a virus is a fantasy. Uh, it's the idea that man can control nature. And, and frankly, uh, so much of this is as a result of liberal insanity. And, you know, I'm, a, I'm not a Trump guy. I mean, I'm a conservative, but I'm not a Trump guy. And I just, I just think... So much of this was in reaction to liberals losing their minds in an election year 
uh, when Donald Trump was was president. Well, and John, the, the thing too about the last year and a half, the follow the science mantra, which we hear so often, and and I learned when I was in school that you know, there, science is just people disagreeing. So it, it has totally become politicized and you know on both sides people pick what well, they want and what they believe in and they you can it's like doctor shopping right uh, john you find a scientist that'll tell you what you want and then you just go with it science has become so politicized and i find this to be uh, tragic and it's a, it's really a weapon follow the science is a weapon of of the left it's basically shut up uh you know we, we don't have the proof to back up our side. So we're just going to rely on, well, all the scientists say, well, what are the, what's the motivation of all the scientists? You know, and again, there's a relationship to this, what happened at Penn State. When all the experts are saying one thing on a controversial topic, nobody wants to go outside of that herd. Because if they go outside of that herd on a big topic, they're going to get run over. Because there's an incentive of the herd to not have anyone embarrass them. And, you know, this is a, you know, my, my grandfather was a, a rather well-known rocket scientist for the United States, came over from Germany in Operation Paperclip. And his claim to fame was actually, with regard to our first satellite in space, he told the Navy, there was no NASA at the time, he was working for the Army, he told the Navy that they were full of crap when it came to the way they were going to try to power our first satellite. And he fought like hell to put these things called solar panels on. And they laughed at him. Well, within a few hours of putting up our first satellite, turned out the Navy was wrong, he was right, and the rest is history. I mean, so unpopular positions throughout, it, throughout the history of science have always turned out, to, or not always turned out, but often turned out to be the right way to go. And groupthink is always very dangerous, and we have seen it here. And it's not about science, it's about politics. Pure politics, not just the Democrat and Republican type of politics, but the politics of people who are within the science community. No one wants to lose their position in the cool kids table at school. That's what this is about. Be sure to catch live editions of the Ben Maller Show weekdays at 2 a.m. Eastern, 11 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Hey, it's Maller here. It's bracket season, and you can pre-register now for the Fox Sports Radio Bracket Challenge at foxsportsradio.com. Get details, rules, and pre-register today so you can easily create your winning bracket when it's live on March 17th. Once you fill out your bracket, you'll be entered for a chance to win the ultimate college sports trip for you and a friend, including travel and stays at any graduate hotel's Location sponsored by Tractor Supply and Graduate Hotels, where college fans stay. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all. But here's a preview of this week's episode. Nothing to do with anyone personally, but Creighton is the team every year that the nerds, you know, the basketball nerds, are like, you know, who's ready to get Creighton? You don't watch Creighton. And I'm like, I don't want to watch Creighton because I agree with Shane and the dude today. Creighton's never going to win anything. Stop talking to me about Creighton. They're not never the, not gonna, the not the Big East tournament. They're, well, I mean, they could maybe they win the Big East tournament, but it'll only be luck. But like, they're always like, you know, a sleeper team. That, like that guy who I told you had eight title teams. One of his title teams was Creighton. Is not winning the national championship. It's yeah, I don't not, have him doing that. That like that's why do we all have to act like Creighton is a, is a is a good team. Creighton's like the band they all say you should know if you really knew bands. <laughs>
And then they're never at any of the – Yeah, exactly. And it comes time for the Grammys, and they lose out to, like, you know, Lil Durk. And you're like, see, I knew Lil Durk was better. Why are you, t- why are you telling me? See the whole time. <laughs> and this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit well, and also, John, it seems like the, you're on Twitter a lot, and I, I'm on there a fair amount. It's like that has so much power now, and you mentioned the group think, and you know everyone wants to be involved with the cool kids and all that, but the the Twitterati, uh, the the Wokerati that all get together on on Twitter, and and the media companies. You've been in the media business your your entire life here. The amount of power that the algorithms have on what the news of the day is is oh. insane and is here's another one of those questions john where i look at that and i've seen some of the studies about how how few people actually provide content to twitter based on the amount of people you know in america for example here we talk about how, right. many, you know, how many people right. actually contribute there's a lot of people that are on there that don't actually add to the conversation but media companies and you know i work for you know one in particular and and, and, and there's some other big ones they just whatever twitter says they go with it like that's the gospel. Is there any getting back from that? They've given so much power. No, I, to Twitter. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more that Twitter has extraordinarily outsized power in driving the narrative. And, you know, especially now that Trump has gone from Twitter and I'm, I'm, I'm assuming many of his supporters are, too. It's it is unbelievable. I mean, they have a stranglehold on the narrative of Twitter and, you know, media members love Twitter. Why? Because it's one of the few places. Well, well, frankly, it all comes down to this. On Twitter, especially woke media members can get lots of affirmation and love at any moment. All they have to do is tweet out some, you know, some PC bullcrap, and they're going to get thousands of retweets. And they, they will get affirmation and love uh, and that's what they want. And, and on Twitter, the media, because they're all, all got blue check marks. I mean, hell, even I have a blue check mark. The the they, they, that's a this is a place where they are deemed to be important people, and they get respect, and their opinion is deemed to matter. And so this is why they love it, and therefore they publicize it more, and it becomes you know this symbiotic relationship. And I I think you're exactly right. The number of people that are actually driving this as a percentage of the population is minuscule, which is why we see, you know, the election results in Virginia last week be so completely different than, you know, what the world of Twitter would have indicated. Yeah, yeah. And I, I use the analogy, you know, dealing with Twitter mostly in the sports world, but just in general, it's like the Matrix. You don't know what's real and what's not. And you know, you the algorithms, the bots that are on there, it is a wild world uh, in that space. And yet, the, again, the major media companies 
I love it. And as you said, the, 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 the media people like it too. Well, it's easy also, right? Uh, you know, as a reporter, if you needed to get feedback from somebody for a story, a quote for a story, you'd have to go out and chase people down. Now you can just go on Twitter on your phone and get comments from random people and put that in your story and boom, you're done, right? You're, you're good to go. You can wash your hands with it right. and move on to the next one. So uh, that's true. Yeah. I I wanted to move on for that. Now I love documentaries, John. I am obsessed with documentaries. I love that you're making documentaries. You, but this Penn state story, which you have been all over and you you talked about your past, but why this story? You are known as the Penn state guy. I I was talking to a friend of mine. I said, I'm gonna have John Ziegler on the, on the podcast. They said, Oh, he's the Penn state guy. You're the Penn state guy, John. You've become that you've been all over this story for 10 years uh, while you know, most other people have moved on, you have stuck with it. You've got a podcast that you've done. You've written a number of stories. In fact, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on here, in your latest column, uh, you wrote about your experience. Ten years almost, you have been all over the Penn State story, and you have a very unpopular opinion for a lot of people that they don't want to hear what you have to say about this because it goes against everything that was reported ten years ago but for those that don't know, maybe the, the one or two people listening that don't know the backstory on this, John, explain how you fell down this rabbit hole with Penn State. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, this is the most extraordinary experience of my life and career. Uh, in many ways, it has been the most interesting. It's also been the most excruciating. It's been the best work of my career, but it's also something that I wish I had never done. And I think it tells a lot about the times in which we live, which is why the story is way bigger than just the Penn State scandal. Obviously, what people know is that Jerry Sandusky was arrested on child sex abuse charges. And then a few days later, 10 years ago this week, Joe Paterno was fired on a cell phone just before his last home game, just after he'd become the winningest coach in the history of college football. The president of the university, Grant Spanier, was also fired. Two Penn State administrators were effectively also uh, fired, and they were charged. Uh, the three administrators ended up going to jail for two months. Jerry Sandusky is still in jail and almost certainly will die in jail. And I have no connection to Penn State. I grew up in suburban Philadelphia not really that close to State College, but I was a Notre Dame fan growing up. I went to Georgetown University, but I know the news media better than anybody on the planet, especially now. Even back in 2011, I knew the news media very well. And I knew that this was a case that they were extraordinarily vulnerable, especially under the, the perfect storm circumstances in the middle of a moral panic of blowing. I also have an extraordinary BS detector. And this story never made a damn bit of sense, not from the Sandusky perspective. I did not go into this thinking, all right, you know, Jerry Sandusky must be innocent. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to exonerate Jerry Sandusky. That was the first thing from my mind. I was talking about the Joe Paterno angle on this. It made no sense. It is a completely nonsensical story for anybody who understands sports. I mean, I've, I had coached high school football in two different states, covered college and pro football at a very high level. Uh, I know the culture of, of football. I know the culture of Penn State. The, 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 I, and frankly, just from a human perspective, none of the story made any damn sense. Now, that doesn't mean it doesn't true. I mean, OJ doesn't make any sense that OJ Simpson would kill two people. But there's a ton of evidence that OJ Simpson killed two people. Ton of it. And there was no evidence here that made any sense. And so I started getting involved, and at first it was from the perspective of Joe Paterno, and it was, became very obvious very early that the, the idea that Joe Paterno participated in the cover-up with Jerry Sandusky was absurd, completely 
absurd. And even the prosecutor in the case eventually told HBO that he didn't believe that that happened. Uh, and the media, of course, ignored that because they already had their narrative and Joe Paterno was dead at that point. Long, long story short, I kept digging and digging and digging because Joe Paterno on his deathbed said, just find out what the truth is. And nobody seemed to be interested in what the truth of this was. And I wanted to find a narrative that, that actually had some evidence behind it and made some damn sense. And eventually I ended up uh, in interviewing Jason Dusky in prison twice for a total of six hours. I went on a Today Show to do high-profile interviews with Matt Lauer, not once but twice. The second one with Dottie Sandusky back in 2014. And eventually uh, I became completely, totally, 100% convinced without a shred of doubt against my own self-interest that not only was Joe Paterno innocent, not only were the administrators innocent, but the only way to make this story fit at all, that make the puzzle pieces of this story fit, was that Jerry Sandusky is also innocent, and it's not even close. And we created a podcast called With the Benefit of Hindsight, which is an epic journey through the real story of what really happened here. It's 21 episodes. It ends, as we just posted a couple days ago, with a four-hour exclusive interview with the former president of the Penn State, Graham Spanier. We have two of the administrators who went to jail on the podcast, both of whom uh, make it very clear that they believe that Jerry Sandusky is, in fact, innocent, which is shocking and should be national news, but the news media doesn't work that way anymore. And the, the evidence that we have accumulated, both in breaking down the conventional wisdom of this case and telling you what actually really did happen – is extraordinary. It's it's it's. I mean, people who have no connection to me, who have fallen on on the the podcast with the benefit of hindsight, I'd, I'd say we've had hundreds and hundreds of people, not thousands, contact me to say this is the greatest podcast they've ever heard, and they don't even really have any connection to Penn State, uh, and uh, and it's an extraordinary achievement, but it's not going to do any good because the news media has their narrative, and once they're this invested, they're never going back. They're never going back because they put too many chips down on this one, Ben. Yeah. So, and 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 um, and I'm telling you, it's not close. Yeah. And I'm but, telling but, you. But, but John, what was the moment? Because you know, a lot of people might be listening to this saying, "What are you doing, Jerry Sandusky's? Uh, you know, he, he molested children. He's in jail for the rest of his life here. What are you saying? Because you talked to him in jail. What was the thing that led you? Was there one thing in particular, other than talking to Jerry Sandusky and his wife, that? Well, well, no, let me, let me be clear. Let, yeah. let me be clear. It's a great question because let me be clear. I didn't talk to Jerry Sadowski and get snowed. <laughs> I'm just checking. I'm just checking, John. I just want to make sure. No, no. Yeah. Uh, there were, there were uh, uh, 200 data points before I even talked to Jerry. And then, there were, and then after I talked to Jerry the first time, my, I, didn't, I, I went out of uh, the prison that day saying, oh, my God, please don't let him be innocent. Please don't let him be innocent. Because I know this is going to ruin my life. Because I know myself well enough to know I'm not going to be able to let this go. Because I'm an only one in the position to to tell this story. I don't want this. So I spent a year trying to prove him guilty, Ben, and I couldn't do it because there's no damn evidence, and everything he told me checked out a thousand percent. And then I got deeper and deeper and deeper, and it's not close. This this story is. Absurd. And we, I, you asked, okay, what was the moment? There's so many moments. But, you know, Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book called Talking to Strangers, a bestseller. He's a very famous author. And Talking to Strangers, bestseller book of 2019, there's a chapter, chapter five in there, which basically deals with my work on this case. 
And Gladwell goes right up to the precipice of saying Sandusky is innocent but doesn't have the courage to do so. I think he actually changed his mind. The publisher changed their, his mind at the last minute. But one of the key pieces of information in that chapter is maybe the biggest revelation that we have found, and there's been there's so many of these it's hard to know for sure. But for me, this whole story starts, and this is the first episode of our podcast with the benefit of hindsight. It all starts with the date of the Mike McQuarrie episode. You know, to me, you're, you're going to make an allegation as Mike McQuarrie did that I, you know, I witnessed Jerry Sandusky sexually assaulting a young boy in a Penn State shower. The first thing you want to know is, okay, when did this happen? The vast majority of people, even media members, Ben, don't know that when he testified for the first time, and this was reported widely 10 years ago this week, he said that this happened on March 1st of 2002. And that's, you know, that was the date that Joe Paterno thought this happened when he died a couple of months after the scandal. But then, very quietly, and the media was very, you know, diligent about covering this up, just before Jerry Sandusky's trial, the prosecution had to announce, um, oops, um, Mike got the the date, the month, and the year wrong. Because now we have emails that prove when he went to go see Joe Paterno. And so now we are surmising, based upon those emails, that this actually happened in February, February 9th of the year before, 2001. 13 months before what had been widely reported when Paterno got fired, Spanier got fired, the whole firestorm started. And my, my reaction was, whoa, 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 whoa. We're going to put all of this on a story that's 10 years old where we have no accuser at this point, none. The media just ignored that part of this. And where the witness, this incredibly dramatic event, he can't tell you the date, the month, or the year in which it happened, and then it gets better. And this is where I made my biggest screw-up of the entire case. I should have been able to figure out that even that second date was wrong very early on in my investigation. But even I felt like there's no possible way the prosecution could get this so wrong twice. But they did. The second date is a fabrication. Mike McQuarrie did not witness this event on February 9th of 2001 and then go see Joe Paterno on the next morning. That's not what happened. He saw this or witnessed this, whatever it was, a shower with a boy, and that's a whole different story of who the boy was, on December 29th of 2000. I've now proven that. Malcolm Gladwell believes I've proven that. Gary Schultz, the administrator, believes I've proven that. Graham Spanier, the president, believes I've proven that. Jerry Sandusky believes I've proven that because even he couldn't remember what the date was. He just knew that the prosecution's date was wrong. And the reason why that's so critical, Ben, is that now there's a six-week gap six weeks from the time that this happens and Mike McQuarrie first reports it not to the police but to Joe Paterno in the morning of February 10, 2001 and then here's the kicker what happened on February uh, uh, the day before he goes to see Joe Paterno February 9, 2001 what, what might have been the trigger for why Mike McQuarrie goes to see Joe Paterno not this six weeks old witnessing of Jerry in a shower with a boy no the job that Mike McQuarrie wanted, the wide receivers coaching job, opens up at Penn State when Kenny Jackson leaves Penn State to go to the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's in the paper the morning of February 9th, 2000. And then, voila, 
just by coincidence, Mike McCreary goes to see Joe Paterno on February 10th that morning. He's not going there to tell him, oh, my God, Joe, I saw Jerry Sadowski raping a boy last night. He's going there to see whether or not he can get the Kenny Jackson job. And the, oh, by the way, coach, I saw Jerry in a, in a shower with a boy. It made me uncomfortable. You, you might want to talk to him about it. That was the afterthought of what happened. And all the evidence supports that scenario. And when the Mike McQuarrie episode disintegrates into not a rape of a boy, but of Jerry Sandusky showering after a workout with a 13-year-old he thought of as a son by the name of Alan Myers, whose own testimony is very clear that nothing bad ever happened between him and Jerry Sandusky, then now all of a sudden the pillar of the case has just been disintegrated. And the case falls apart from there, and that's really the key element of this for people to understand. Once you understand the Mike McQuarrie episode was a fabrication, uh, uh, then you understand that the rest of this case in, in an incredible, uh, easy fashion and a domino effect of, of a perfect storm of panic and injustice. All right, so then the question would be, if that's the case and you've been investigating this, why would there not be some kind of uh, opening up of the case again and uh, looking it over? Because as you said, Jerry Sandusky is likely going to to die in uh, in jail. If, if what you're saying is accurate and this is all... Uh, all checks out, why couldn't they go back and open up the case again? Because that's not, there's a couple reasons. One, that's not the way this system works. That's not the way the legal system works. In order for Jerry Sandusky to get a new trial, they have to prove a constitutional issue with the due process of the first trial. Now, in a rational world, that would be incredibly easy. I have to tell you, even if Jerry Sandusky was guilty, even if he was guilty, his trial was such an unbelievable joke that if it was not a famous case, if there was not politics involved, a new trial would have been a fait accompli. I mean, I've, I've watched 100 datelines where people get new trials based upon one one thousandth of the due process issues that were involved in Jerry Sandusky's trial. But here's where the perfect storm comes in. In Pennsylvania, all the judges are elected. And because of the politics of this case, because of the media coverage of this case, any judge that orders a new trial for Jerry Sandusky is effectively ending their career. And uh, Jerry Sandusky's lawyer himself has been shocked time and time again. People don't even understand. Jerry is still appealing on a regular basis. That never happens in a serial child molester case. You, I, would, I defy anyone to find me a serial child molester case with no pornography, no confession, no plea bargain, and a, where the, the person who ends up getting convicted is still appealing vigorously with no money, no political capital 10 years later. That never, ever, ever, ever happens. And the reason why it's happening in this case is because you have an innocent man who has no other choice. He's fighting for his life, and he doesn't understand, because he's very naive, that he, that he will never get a fair shake in Pennsylvania because of the politics involved, because everyone is so deeply invested in this fairy tale. That's why this cannot be reversed. I have urged him, and other people close to him, including his lawyer, have urged him to go to federal court. But if he goes to federal court and he loses, his life is over, because now he has nothing to do. He has nothing to focus on. He has no hope. I have 
I've given this analogy to his family. I think it's a good one. In state court, he can keep going back and appealing basically every six months or a year. So basically for the rest of Jerry Sandusky's life, he gets to run a fourth and 75 play you know, yeah. every six months or a year. He's never going to make that fourth and 75, but he gets to keep trying. If he goes to federal court, he gets one shot at fourth and six. And if he misses the fourth and six, his life is over. And he cannot handle that from a psychological standpoint. So that's the answer to your question. Be sure to catch live editions of the Ben Maller Show weekdays at 2 a.m. Eastern, 11 p.m. Pacific. Hey, it's Maller here. It's bracket season, and you can pre-register now for the Fox Sports Radio Bracket Challenge at foxsportsradio.com. Get details, rules, and pre-register today so you can easily create your winning bracket when it's live on March 17th. Once you fill out your bracket, you'll be entered for a chance to win the ultimate college sports trip for you and a friend, including travel and stays at any graduate hotel's Location sponsored by Tractor Supply and Graduate Hotels, where college fans stay. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Good song. The Johnny Carson theme, right? Hey, who wrote that? Skip, who do you think? It's your buddy. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. Hear about Michael Bublé's entrance into show business. And get business insight from Mark Burnett. Find out what scares my son-in-law, Jason Bateman. And discover the bragging rights that come with beating Michael Jordan at golf. Together, we know just about everything. Everybody, including sitting presidents. So join us as we ask the questions they've not been asked before, tell it like it is, and even sing a song or two. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, John, you've done the podcast talking about this. You've covered it. What, what is next for you on this story? Are you done with the Penn State story now? It's been 10 years. Are you going to continue to follow this, or are you just going to move on to something else? What's the plan here? Well, I still want people to, to listen to our podcast with the benefit of hindsight. It's a remarkable historical document. You don't even have to care about the Penn State case to be interested in the podcast. It tells you so much about the nature of our media the nature of our, our system, the nature of humanity. By the way, I've had a lot of people tell me this organically, and I did this on purpose. I actually think you can understand a lot about our reaction to COVID, as I've already implied in this interview, 
by by listening to this podcast. I mean, the parallels are remarkable. You know, the the reaction to everything in a panic, the the politics, the propaganda, uh, the emo- emotional investment, the lack of evidence supporting what we're doing, but there's no way to get out of this. I mean, there's so many comparisons. So I, I really want people to check out with the benefit of hindsight. I um, fully acknowledge that that the 10 year mark for me psychologically, I I was pinpointing as the time when I I end this for me. Um, You know, there were were a couple of things that were supposed to happen on the 10th anniversary that have been delayed. Uh, ESPN is is been planning a special. I have no faith in them at all. But those who have been interviewed for it say that it's far more pro paterno than anything else ESPN has ever done before. And there's a mainstream news media outlet, a print outlet that's been investigating this case for two years. What, from what seems to be a very pro Jerry Sandusky perspective, for some reason, they have not hit the 10th anniversary. So unfortunately those are going to still hang over my head as, you know, some semblance of hope that theoretically something might change, even though I have grave skepticism about that. Uh, but I have to tell you, my experience in this case, combined with my experience with COVID, combined with having gone through the Trump era, I'm now at the point where I don't even know why I bothered to be part of the public discourse. Because we're now living in a world where truth means nothing. In fact, when I ended the, the, the documentary film I did about the, uh, the Penn State case back in 2012 called The Framing of Joe Paterno, you can find it for free at YouTube, I end the documentary by saying one of the things we're going to find out in this case is whether or not the truth still matters. And, uh, and here we are now nine years after that, and at least we now know the truth does not matter. The truth does not matter in today's world. And I'm a truth guy. I, I am not a, you know, give you what you want to hear for to make me popular guy. That's what sells in the media now. The coin of the realm in the media used to be mostly truth. Now it's all popularity. It's all tell people what they want to hear. And there's, there's reasons why that happened, which I'm happy to go into if you're interested. But the reality is that's the case. And, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do, but there's a, there's a reasonable chance that in the next – few weeks or whatever a month I, I you may never hear from me again i i may just go off the grid and just say screw it because it's just it's just not worth it to me i just don't have uh, you know it, this has never been a money-making endeavor for me it's not about making a living and you, you now you can't even tell the truth in any platform or forum that that ha- makes any difference if it doesn't fit with what the corporate media wants well, yeah, and, and, not- and, and, and John, I mean, I, just to follow that up, I mean, the, the thing, we deal with it a lot in the sports world, uh, but in politics it's even worse. It's tribalism, right? It's like you got to give the give the red meat to the people that, you know, need the red meat and not, you know, not give them anything other than that. And, you know, it's it's become even worse over the last, like, five, ten years. It's gotten completely out of control. 100 percent. The media is now all about finding a tribe that fits – you know, who you are, and then feeding that tribe what they want. That's what this is, yeah. which is the exact opposite of what journalism is supposed to be. And I, and I don't believe journalism was ever perfect, but it, it was a lot better than it is now, that's for sure. Well, you mentioned, uh, you it, mentioned uh, John, in your, in your uh, column that you wrote, uh, the latest column about the Penn State story, and I'm sure you mentioned this on the, on the, the uh, podcast that you did, that the modern media – 
it's it's you compared it to the movie industry, right? The way that they handle things in media today. Can you expand on that? And because I, yes. I think that was a great point. I thought that was a wonderful thank you. Point. Thank you for pointing that out because I do think it's true. You know, m- movies. And I know here we are in Los Angeles and Tinseltown. The movies, even movies that were about true stories, they used to at least say based on a true story, right? And now the dramatic license has gotten so ridiculous that basically it's just uh, based on theoretical stuff that might have been true, probably wasn't. But you know what makes a great story? I mean, that, that's, that's the new standard in Hollywood for a supposed nonfiction movie. Well, the news media is following that model. It is all now about narrative. What's the most compelling narrative we can find? So, so we're going to cobble together these fragments of what seem to be facts. We don't even know if they're really facts, but they're, you know, fact-ish. And we're going to cobble these together, and we're going to concoct the narrative that is most salacious and best for us in that moment. And we've seen this constantly. And, you know, I, I think, again, I'm not a Trump guy, but I think the media did that with the Trump-Russia investigation. I mean, all you know, basically Trump was a Manchurian candidate, right? Because they cobbled together, um, you know, some of these things that seemed to be facts. And I think Trump actually did some things wrong with regard to, to Russia, but there, he's clearly not a Manchurian candidate. Uh, we've seen it in so many other situations. I mean, it, it, it keeps happening. You know, I, I've often said that the Penn State case is a common, it's a, like if I was pitching it as a movie, it's basically Theranos meets Jesse Smollett meets Manti Teo uh, meets Duke <laughs> Lacrosse. I mean, I mean, uh, th- that's basically what it is. Um, and it keeps happening because the media falls in love with narrative. And then once they fall in love, there's no going back because, as we've seen with COVID, nobody ever wants to admit they were wrong. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I'm the only guy I know that I admit I'm wrong all the time. I, I Frankly, as a married guy, I thought that came as second nature. You admit you're wrong constantly. <laughs> I mean, but uh, it's just amazing to me that no one ever wants to admit that they were wrong. We all got it wrong about Penn State. And it created a massive injustice that destroyed the lives of five really good men. And an institution's reputation was destroyed forever. And a lot of other people got hurt tangentially. But this story is much bigger than that. Because if it can happen to them, it can happen to anybody. And it shows us so much about what is wrong with our culture. And frankly, I don't think it's going to get any better. I think it's only going to get worse. Well, John, it's also, it's also human nature though, right? I mean, people, you know, basic marketing. I remember taking a marketing class back in, in college and they said, you got to get kids early. That's why the happy meal is so successful is because once somebody makes their mind up that something's good or bad or right or wrong, they don't, nobody wants to change their mind, but it is even worse now than you know at any other point I, I in my life anyway i don't know before that but it's it's and, crazy and, and i there's a lot of reasons why it happened and why it can't be fixed but a large part of this has to do with fragmentation of the news media because we you know back in the uh, in the in the era where we had four television stations and it was a license to print money to own a newspaper or a radio station no one needed to do this you didn't have to create the the fictional movie you could actually run the real movie and it would make more it would make money you see where i'm going with this you didn't have to juice it 
Now you have to juice it because everyone is so desperate for every scrap of ratings they can get because the business model is broken. That's the heart of the problem. And, uh, and you know, Penn State really was the first major story <clears throat> that made this abundantly clear. You know, I, I, I will now forever, based upon what's happened this year, I will now refer to Penn State as the first Let's go, Brandon. Story. I mean, <laughs> where, where where the news media? It didn't matter. I mean, I, I truly believe. I truly believe that to this day, a couple of the major accusers in this case could come forward. They could do an interview uh, saying we lied for money. Jerry Sadowski never abused us, and the media would report that they said, "Let's go, Brandon." That's what they would do. <laughs> Uh, that's hilarious. Hey, John, listen, I, I love you for doing this, man. Thank you so much. Uh, you are, I love your enthusiasm, your passion, as I, as I told you earlier, but uh, continued success. And how can people follow you if they want to read your column? And uh, you've obviously made a bunch of documentaries and whatnot, and you're well, all over Twitter. Yeah, the best place to find me is on Twitter, and my Twitter feed is, is a terrible handle. It's Zigman Freud, Z-I-G-M-A-N Freud. Um, or just look up for John, John Ziegler, Z-I-E-G-L-E-R. Uh, and uh, everything I do, you can find there. Although our, our website for the, with the benefit of hindsight podcast is www.framingpaterno.com. You can find all the raw interviews we did, dozens of hours of raw interviews. We, we, that's how transparent we are. We put out the raw, unedited interviews we did <laughs> for this podcast at framingpaterno.com. Awesome. Thank you, John. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ben. Hey, it's Maller here. It's bracket season, and you can pre-register now for the Fox Sports Radio Bracket Challenge at foxsportsradio.com. Get details, rules, and pre-register today so you can easily create your winning bracket when it's live on March 17th. Once you fill out your bracket, you'll be entered for a chance to win the ultimate college sports trip for you and a friend, including travel and stays at any graduate hotel's Location sponsored by Tractor Supply and Graduate Hotels, where college fans stay. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.